You are listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the CRM Archaeology Podcast, episode 95, for October 12th, 2016. I'm your host, Chris Webster. On today's show, we talk to Sean Webb, founder of Architect Logistics. We find out what that is and what it can do for you. So polish up your resume because the CRM Archaeology Podcast starts right now. Welcome to the show, everyone. Joining me today is Sonia in Utah. Hello. And because of our slightly different recording time, that's uh, that's it. It's just Sonia and I on the show. So, uh, But that's good because uh, we're talking to Sean Webb, who's the owner and um, founder of Arctech Logistics, and we're going to find out exactly what that is. And I have a feeling having two company owners and former field technicians and people who two people who have done pretty much all aspects of CRM um, are good people to to interview Sean about this company. So Sean, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's, it's an honor uh, uh, that you guys asked me to come on. Yeah, no problem. Um, so before we find out about Arctech Logistics, why don't you tell us a little bit about what uh, about yourself and your background and, and what you're doing right now? Um, well, I've, I've been in CRM for close to 10 years now. Um, graduated from uh, University of Kentucky, kind of got a late start um, as a non-traditional student. I've done a little bit of everything from uh, construction to uh, serving in restaurants to working in IT to customer service. Uh, so yeah, you name it. I've done a little bit of everything. Uh, um, so, you know, working with uh, University of Kentucky for a while um, and a couple other CRM companies, um, which I, I met my wife actually at uh, University of Kentucky, oh, nice. and we we shortly after that uh, started our, our small CRM company, uh, Appalachian Archaeology, mm-hmm. and we didn't we didn't we wasn't really interested in you know trying to create this huge CRM company or, or even a, a large CRM company because we knew better. We knew you know there's there's these well established companies out there, especially where we're located, mm-hmm. um, you know, out of Kentucky that, that that's just probably not gonna happen. So um so but after after doing it for um you know a couple of years it it was it was getting you know difficult to to actually get contracts and, and learning how to compete and how to get in that market. Um, you know, again, uh, coming from, you know, being field techs into starting our own company. Um, so we, we, we started noticing that most of what we were doing was actually subcontracting, uh, companies needing, uh, field techs and needing, you know, relatively short notice. Um, so the idea hit me at about two o'clock in the morning working on taxes, <laughs> you know, going through expenses and okay. And I was like, well, wait a minute, this is, I'm, I'm, you know, making, you know, you know, it's a decent amount of a margin on this. Um, so, you know, it's why I try to compete for these contracts when, when we can actually set up something to where, you know, we can provide field technicians for primary contract holders. Uh, and 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 provide vetted uh, field techs at that, um, and so that, that's that's what started the idea for Arctech Logistics, um, and then we went through the process um, to um, to getting a uh, online database uh, built for us, and mm-hmm. that took you know a few months. So as of May of last year, that's been up and going. You know, and then there are some changes that we we'd like to. Um, uh, you know, put into place, but again, it's, it's, it's growing pains and, and, uh, you know, we were only, I don't know, about a year and a half out now. So, okay. um, so yeah. That's what so, we so I'm sure we'll have some questions, but why don't you take me through the, take me through the process and I want to make sure I understand exactly what you're talking about here. So what is the, let's say I'm a field technician and you know, what is, what is my route right now to work with you? What do I do? Okay. <clears throat> but you know, you can go to the website, mm-hmm. um, and you create a profile. You got your login information, just like any other any other website. You you go through and put in your um, all of your you know information. You can up you know you upload your CV and your references. You have the option to pick which states in the United States that you would prefer to work. Um, there is a, a specialty 
section where you check if you you know if you were you archaeological field technician environmental and then it breaks it down and what uh specialties of, of environmental field work um and and you and, you know there's a section where you you know if there's more that you would like to add and we we like to put you know as it's as it's on there is go ahead and brag about yourself what you know mm -hmm. what what do you have to say and that's that's essentially it i mean it doesn't cost anything nothing like that at all um when we get a contract uh, to uh, supply the field techs, um, I'll just uh, put in the job information and basically hit uh, match and it will pull up the people that that uh, you know put the that they would prefer to work in that state and it'll mm -hmm. list them first as in uh, proximity to the uh, the project location. Um, so yeah, it's very simple, straightforward. Are people actually working for Arctech Logistics when they go work for these other companies, or are they as a subcontractor? Basically, you know, Arctech is a subcontractor to the other company, or are you just matching them and they're working for that other company? Uh, they're actually working for Arctech Logistics. Okay. Um, yes, um, and or I should probably back up and we're actually a woman-owned small business. I mm -hmm. co-founded this with with my with my wife. So yeah. Um, uh, that's um, yeah. That's pretty okay. pretty straightforward. Uh, so, do your field techs input their own schedules? So, if they're actually working on other jobs or other projects for other companies, do they put in their own schedule into your database so that you know who's available and who's not? That's that's an excellent question because part of the database one feature is a map function, and I can pull up the map of the United States, zoom in. It's it's based on um, on Google Maps, uh, green dots says that you're available for work. Blue dots says that that person is unavailable. So if I just click on the blue dot, it'll give me their information. It says they'll, they're unavailable. If they're working for Arctic Logistics, it says unavailable until when we expect you know that project to end. That's that's been a little bit of a challenge. It's getting you know more people to actually keep up with that to update their information and availability. Um, I guess if they want to work, they'll do it. Yeah, exactly. You know, that's, <laughs> and we, we, you know, we get we get the more on the promotion side of things. Get the the company name out there, and then we're you know we're providing these jobs and 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 getting the contracts. I, th I think more people would obviously uh, update their information. So, okay. so can people work in any state? Are you is Arctech Logistics set up to work in any state, or do you have a certain number of states like around you there that you've uh, uh, set up to do business in? Uh, it's national, uh, so any state. Okay. okay. Yeah, we we pitched we pitched the idea of Arctech Logistics uh, twenty at uh, an ACRA conference in Florida mm -hmm. in twenty fourteen and talked to uh, quite a few. Uh, CRM companies, and they really, really, really liked, um, you know, the, the concept. Um, and so that's that's actually why we went for it. Mm -hmm. Okay. So do you, do you have, since these guys are all working for you guys, and they're subcontracted to, say, Chris or myself, do you have workers' compensation coverage in all of those states? Uh, you that's, keep that that's, current? Yes, yes, we do. And it's uh, obviously, it's like we haven't worked in, I don't know, like, let's say, you know, uh, California. And, mm -hmm. and once we get that contract, then we will, you know, tackle that once it gets there. But yes, gotcha. we do, we do have workers uh, comp insurance, um, you know, just, just like anyone else. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, like each state is different in terms of workers compensation, but also how like, um, overtime is calculated. Like California is very strict about how overtime is calculated compared to states like Utah. Yes, and that's that's something. When I first started talking to some people uh, on the West Coast, and, and and had a company contact me out of California, and she was like, "Well, I'll give you some heads up when you when you guys do get some contracts out here." And, and that was the one thing that she brought up was the difference in the workers' comp and, and, the, and the strictness. So that's something we definitely, definitely, you know, would keep on keep on top of it, and and, um, and you know, keep our attention focused on it. Um, but yes, yes, hmm. I mean it's. It would be interesting to see how we could, um, I don't know, go ahead and, 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 you know, do it on a national level, state by state. Um, but I feel like where we're at, 
uh, you know, we're still really young, so it's kind of okay. We get we get a contract in this state. Okay, let's let's take care of this. You know, so. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I can only imagine how complicated your quarterly employment tax re <laughs> reports yes. are going to be. <laughs> it it is it is uh, it's it's kind of crazy, <laughs> and, and like I said, we've just started. So, <laughs> so um, I'm curious when when people are working for you, um, it is just basically job to job for these people. I would assume if they if they go two months without without working, whether it's their choice mm -hmm. or there's just nothing available, then they're not getting a paycheck, right? They're only getting a paycheck when they're actually working for someone. Uh, correct. I mean, because okay. when they work for us, it's, it's just contract basis. Like, yeah. like I said, the, you know, whatever, it, you know, the primary contract holder subcontracts out there, mm -hmm. us to provide the field technicians. Um, and so it, it, to me, you know, like I said, being a field tech myself in the past, I mean, it's, you know, you, a lot of these people bounce around between companies. I did, yeah. I did that for a bit. Oh, um, yeah. And so the other thing, I mean, I, I kind of, and I've, I've had this actually happen before. I, I was approached. Um, I did a special kind of um, uh, service for a company that was an eight A certification, so they mm -hmm. couldn't subcontract the entire uh, that portion of the, uh, you know, for, for field techs, cause it was over the percentage of, mm -hmm. of what they could subcontract for. Um, and so what I did was, is, is basically do a finder's fee, um, ah. for each tech. Um, and, and, you know, in a process like that, you're, you're, you're also, you're hoping that these people, you know, they can, they can, it, it could be a foot in the door so they can get a permanent, permanent position. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, you know, that's again, as coming from Benefield Tech, I'm all about that. You know, helping people out, um, uh, getting, uh, you know, new techs get experience uh, and all that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So, talk to me a little bit about your vetting process. Like, how do you vet these people? Well, first of all, you know, definitely check all those CVs, um, you know, project uh, specific um, and call the references. Uh, one thing that I do like to do, it's kind of giving away one of my secrets here. Uh, <laughs> I like to actually do a, um, a cold call. I'll call the, you know, the applicant. I don't necessarily always, uh, schedule the phone call, just kind of call them out of mm -hmm. the blue so I can just kind of get a read on their personality. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, you know, I've kind of always been a, a people reader <laughs> in that, <laughs> growing up, like I said, working in all different kinds of fields, but, um, and, and so, and definitely again, checking their, uh, all the references, um, you know, thorough check. And, and that's, mm -hmm. I, I feel like, you know, as far as that's the best you can do, you know, to, to provide the qualified, you know, field techs. Okay. The, much of the consensus out here on using like temporary agencies, mm -hmm. uh, for archeologists is that, in, sometimes uh, you'll end up with the bottom of the barrel, and I hate to put it so bluntly. I've mm -hmm. I've had great luck with many of my um, uh, attempts, um, but I've also had very bad luck with a lot of attempts. Exactly, and and, and these, again, these people are all supposedly vetted. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? So mm -hmm. I know it's going to be very individual, um, personal working styles, and familiarity with the project areas, but. Mm -hmm. um, I just, uh, I mean, how is the, how is what you're, what you're doing different than what a temporary agency does? Um, I think I, I could say with confidence that, you know, from my past experiences of being on a crew as a field tech, um, and well, just to be totally honest, I, I you know, used to have some, uh, more of an introvert. So I guess you get nervous <laughs> around, especially larger crews and things. Mm -hmm. Um, so and you're right. There are you, you know, you've you've you. It's kind of the luck of the draw at times when you when you've got you know some great techs and then some that's 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 not so great and that might be experience that might be a worth X X might be a personality issue. But see, my thing is, you know, I, like I said, I take the time to actually call them, uh, speak to them a bit, and I, and it's usually not even one phone call. You know, I'll follow up and, and do another phone call. You know, after I've talked to uh, the references, I'll call them back. So I'm kind of trying to get a really uh, trying to get a read on this person's personality, um, and it, I feel like that's what says sets it aside. You know, probably a little more so than than what often you know 
what's happening oftentimes is people just uh, reviewing CVs and screening CVs. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I feel like that's what makes us a little different. Okay. Do you, do you do a like a post field work report with the with the company that was subcontracting the text and the text themselves? Yes, that's that's something else I was uh, was going to mention. Mm-hmm. The the process of you know the the the, the field director you will know, be asked to fill out an evaluation for each tech. Mm-hmm. Uh, the field tech is also would be asked to fill out an evaluation themselves. I mean, you know, sometimes, you know, there just may be someone else on the crew that they're not getting along with, or it might be environmental, you know, those, you know, they may be better off working somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like, I think it's important, important to get that feedback from, from both sides, the field director and the field technician. Yeah. Okay. What is there a threshold for, you know, when a when a field tech gets a you know an evaluation, is there some sort of rating system, or is there, or is it just up to you guys when you say, you know what, there's been too many negative comments about this person, we're just not going to work with them anymore, and vice versa for a company as well. You know, you're just like the company's not treating people well. You know, is there a, a metric, or is it just kind of you, you just kind of see how it goes? Uh, I do have. Um a rating system. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like just, you know, with, with most companies would. Yeah. Um, and the other thing is, is during the uh, screening process, I keep in contact with, you know, if it's the project manager, PI, whoever is, is that I'm in contact with to, to, to provide the crews to say, okay, here are the people that, that I'm looking at. And, you know, there has been a couple of times when it's like, well, I know that person, you know, um, or yeah, this person's great, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so it's, it's, it's kind of, you know, I don't just find the people and say, here you go. It's, it's, you know, I want, if there's any feedback, definitely look for that. And I'll send, I also like to send along the CVs and everything, um, uh, you know, to the, to the primary. Um, so yeah. Okay. What about, what about privacy issues, um, sending on CVs? Um, I know a lot of like temporary agencies won't actually send the CV with, uh, to their client with a name on it. They will just, it's, it's basically in order for the client to get, a, uh, or, or excuse me, not the client, but for all the applicants to get a fair shake based on their qualifications. Mm-hmm. You know okay. what I mean? I and there's also, there's a little bit of a privacy concern because if I'm looking for someone specific and maybe, you know, I have or haven't worked, or maybe I have worked with them before and didn't quite like them. Um, am I going to be more or less inclined to 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 uh, um, <laughs> to hire them? Mm-hmm. And yeah, if, I no, ask for, if I ask for an interview, then we end up um, going, oh, okay. Well, this is going to be a little bit awkward when I'm like, hey, so and so, you and I worked for you know eight years together. Mm-hmm. We don't like each other very much, <laughs> or <laughs> <laughs> something yeah. like that. and that's a that's a really good point um it's it's you know and again we're 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 you know very young at this um and we we've been asked uh you know usually to provide you know cvs um in which i you know obviously haven't declined that um but you're right i mean it's one of those things where people move around so much and they're working you know from contract to contract that you're definitely going to run into people you know, and there may be people you don't get along with, maybe people you get you know get along great with. Um, one thing that I, you know, try to focus on um, the most actually is, you know, experience. I mean, if, it, if it's a specific kind of a project, you know, okay, you definitely have phase two, phase three, and you need these people to have that experience. Well, experience is, is, is going to weigh heavy there. Uh, but looking at a lot of phase ones, if they don't have a whole lot of experience, that's fine. Because uh, what I'm trying to do is trying to put together a crew that's going to work well together. Um, and so far, that has, you know, been the case. I haven't, you know, there hasn't been any complaints of people not getting along. It's it's people really enjoy uh, the crews that you know that they end up with, and I've gotten that from the. Um, um, you know, from the project managers, uh, the field directors, you know, hey, this, this crew's working great together. You know, they're having a good time in the field, which I feel like makes things more efficient. So, 
Okay, well, we are going to take a break real quick, um, and we'll come back and talk to Sean a little more about this, because it sounds pretty uh, pretty fascinating and revolutionary for archaeology, I think, actually, um, you know, to have something focused like this. But in the meantime, listen to this ad from uh, PCS, Professional Certification for Scientists, about the uh, PCS job board. All right, back in a second. Professional Certifications for Scientists, or PCS, aims to provide practical educational videos, field guides, knowledge tests, professional certifications, and employment connections to professional scientists everywhere. Check out the jobs page for job listings and contract archaeology. Post a job for just $50. All of PCS's jobs are verified and checked for completeness. Find PCS jobs at www.pcscourses.com forward slash jobs. PCS a place for good scientists to become great science professionals. All right, we're back, and we're actually joined by Bill White. Um, he uh, was doing some research up in Idaho there and found some found some time to join us for a little while, and I think we've got him up to speed. But um, we want to go into some more questions here, Sean. And uh, I've got a question about... Uh, uh, human resources, basically. Um, since since the people that work for these other companies work for Arctech Logistics, what is the what is the responsibility that Arctech Logistics has to the project versus what the company has to the project? Like if I've if I've got a you know a person that is injured on the job or a person that is um, there's a sexual harassment claim or all those things that are handled by an HR department, whose HR department mm-hmm. handles that stuff, and how do you guys work that out? Uh, that's that's us. That would be our company, and okay. you know, issues like that are you know covered by our company insurance. Okay. Um, so yeah. Okay. Do you do you ever work out something with a client? Have you had an issue where the client's like, um, you know, our company policy says that we need to take care of this or that, or or the contract's pretty straightforward with these people. It's just here's your people, and here's what it's going to cost. I, I haven't I haven't ran into anything like that uh, yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure it's. I'm sure it's. I'm sure it's going to happen, but uh, no, I haven't. Mm-hmm. Uh, nothing specific like that. Okay, and, and I've got one more question um, regarding money a little bit because I know this will be a segue into into Sonia because she's very interested in the money. Um, but <laughs> yeah. my question is been... always interested in money. <laughs> <laughs> my question's more about from the field tech standpoint. Um, per diem, what? Mm-hmm. Uh, do you, you know, I know some companies, you're, now you work, I know you work right now, you're, you're based out of Kentucky, um, so the East Coast, and, mm-hmm. and a lot of times it's, uh, you know, per diems handled a little differently there than over here on the West Coast where Sonia and I are, and, uh, and Bill for that matter, um, although Bill would say he's in the Southwest, mm-hmm. but anyway. Um, so anyway, uh, how do you guys do per diem? If a company wants to do cash per diem, is that their deal, or is it not even up to the company? It's Arctech Logistics sets a policy, and this is how you distribute per diem, whether it's on a check or, or cash or however. Well, again, yeah, going back to being, you know, a field tech and having reimbursements, uh, oh, mm-hmm. two weeks later you get a check, that kind of thing. The way we do per diem is we do a direct deposit into their bank account, okay. and it's for whatever that rate is in that area, GSA rate, that's the per diem they get. Mm-hmm. I think that's fair. Uh, mm-hmm. It's, you know, just, uh, that's how I like to do it. So Yeah. Okay. No, that makes total sense. Well, um, the I've, I've said this many, many, many times. Um, GSA per diem rates are just the maximum amount that the federal government will reimburse a business. And many times mm-hmm. in order to bid on a project, um, a, a company will have to bid, say, you know, $45 instead of $51 a day. So if you're reimbursing mm-hmm. at... $51 a day because you think that's right. But in, in order to get the job, the company only bid $45 a day. We, as the, as the, uh, the client may insist mm-hmm. that we only pay you or reimburse you for $45 a day. Do you, yes, does that make sense? Yes. And that's, it makes you perfect sense. You want to be careful and about that. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I, I guess let me back up. What I would have meant was like the GSA, like on, on uh, federal, you know, prevailing wage jobs, where they have to pay, um, you know, those rates. Um, yes, I mean, I, whatever is the, the 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 primary contract holder, whatever they're paying out, that's what I'm going to bill them for. Uh, I don't bill anymore for that. There's no margin being made on that. 
uh, that's what I'm depositing into their into their bank accounts. Uh, so yes, sorry if I wasn't clear on that. <laughs> okay, and but, you're gonna uh, you're gonna deposit that money after they work, right? So no, no, I mean, that's that, that's e each week. Each week worked, right? So you if you work a week, then you get that week's per diem. The reason I ask that is because what happens if it snows? Or what happens if hurricane whatever comes by and then no one works and you've already mm -hmm. given them the money? Like, how are you going to get the money back? You know, and th it, this it's is, a this perennial is hassle. Yes. And, I'm, you know, it's interesting that you said that because, I, like I said, I'm going through some growing pains. We just started uh, a year ago. I have a crew working um, – southeast right now and they're having to evacuate because of uh, <laughs> the hurricane Matthew, i deposited yeah. their their per diem for this week on friday so you know i'm out some money <laughs> yeah. um, and, and, and uh i'm not going to ask for it back but that's something that's something i learned right then and there you're right this is this may be something i need to reevaluate and do it okay i'm going to give you per diem at the end of the week but you know, I don't, it's, it's hard. It's it's really hard to, you know, because part of that's, yes, the business coming into, you know, the business thinking. The other part of this is, you know, you know I've kind of been there and I, myself and, like, traveled a long way to get to a job. And I'm like, okay, living paycheck to paycheck. I'm like, well, I kind of, you know, need money to eat on uh, this week, you know, mm -hmm. uh, instead of waiting till Friday to get it. So I, I don't know – you know, it's it's one of those things I've, I've kind of really went back and forth in my mind on how to how to handle that. Right. Um, so, okay, I think we've we've talked about this a couple of times before on the podcast, and I started out like you, where I wanted to give the people the per diem, knowing mm. that they were suffering just like you're talking about, and that they could really use the money. And mm. then I've had a number of things happen in the field where. Uh, you know, people already spent all their money, and then I'm sitting here trying to get the money back later. The biggest burn that I ever suffered was I used to let people have their uh, hotel and lodging, too, and just fend for themselves. And I've had people who, like, don't get a hotel room and then want to crash in other people's hotel room while they mm. make all the money or they show up mm -hmm. late. And, like, you know, you're waiting mm -hmm. there 20, 30 minutes for this person who every single week is late coming from the trailer park where they're staying or whatever – it turns into a huge disaster, and I, mm -hmm. I, I mean, I'm not okay with uh, giving the people per diem after the project's over because that's how a lot of companies have solved it. You just get a check for all the per diem for the days that you worked after mm -hmm. the project's over. But I like your idea of maybe giving it to them at the end of the week, and I mean, I guess you just have to count your pennies or something like that mm -hmm. on the first week, and then after that you get your per diem, and it should all just roll. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh you no, know, that's definitely something I'm gonna to really, I don't know, just, just think it over. I, 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 I kind of don't want to wait, you know, to end of the project. I don't want to do that. I, I would prefer to do it on a weekly basis. And, and again, I, there's been a couple of instances where, where I have, you know, well, I've lost money because I can't, uh, you know, I've given the money to the field techs. Uh, they've they've called in sick something happened you know now we've got a hurricane you know i can't go to the client and say well i've already paid them this money mm -hmm. uh is there any way i can get it from you anyway even though they were you know they, they weren't working <laughs> i can't do that so um <laughs> <laughs> you're just you're gonna have to give it at least a week delayed that's the only solution because yeah you don't have any idea what's gonna happen Exactly. I think there's another solution, actually. I've worked for a number of companies that did cash per diem at the beginning of a session, like a 10-day session, like we work out here in the in the West. And uh, generally what I've seen done, because uh, paychecks are always delayed, and everybody understands that. Paychecks are always delayed two, if not three weeks sometimes. And, um, you know, I mean, there's even companies, the bigger ones, that pay once a month, you know. Um, I've seen that before. But anyway, so if paychecks are delayed... And you don't, and, and as long as you have a policy, you know, like a company policy that they sign that say, hey, per diem will be returned uh, in XYZ circumstances, 
um, and it won't be returned in these circumstances. Like, I don't believe in giving per diem back for for weather-related phenomenon, unless that weather cancels the entire project, like a hurricane, um, or mm-hmm. like I've been canceled in the upper Midwest for, you know, if it's November and you're working in North Dakota and you get 13 inches of snow, that's not going to melt till mm-hmm. April, so you're done. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, exactly. things like that are okay, but if you have like a rain day where you're going to go out the next day or you've got a, a, a snow day like out here in the West where it's just going to be a dusting, you can't see, so you can't do surveys, so you'll go out the next day, I won't, I won't even my own company policy, I won't ask for per diem back in that case but if somebody misses an inordinate number of days for whatever reason and that fits in the policy for returning the per diem and they don't have it to return i mean usually that just comes off the the next paycheck because theoretically Mm -hmm. they've got a paycheck in the bank still um you know that's that's that hasn't been paid out to them so Mm -hmm. i i like that you're paying per diem on a weekly basis because you're right People need that money to live. I mean, it's a sad fact, but everybody lives paycheck to paycheck in this business, and mm-hmm. none of us get paid enough. and um, And they need they need money to eat and live. And the sooner they get that money, the better. And some people, I feel like it's the cost of doing business that some people are going to screw you on that. Some people are going to yeah. take that cash and skip town and say, "I'll never see you again." But they're going to quickly <laughs> burn their bridges. I, I feel exactly. like they're burning their bridges, and it's exactly. It's a worst case scenario, and not everybody's going to do it. So I don't want to. I don't want to screw everybody else. And Bill, I know you, me, and at least Stephen have had this argument before on the show. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, I just don't like it when someone pulls a Charlton Heston is like, you know, pry it from my cold dead hands. And you're talking, it's seventeen dollars, man. Are you kidding me? You're seriously going to do this over seventeen bucks? And I've seen it happen before, so. Yeah, yeah but this up. is this is too small of a world, man. I mean, it, all, all it takes is somebody somebody knows somebody that knows that you did that, and that's going to get around. You know what I mean? And those people just simply don't work in the field anymore. I mean, that's just what happens. So they make their way around the country just burning every single bridge, and before long, they're stuck in somewhere they don't want to be. So. Boy, oh boy, Chris. Just uh, I just guess you'll just get ripped off a couple times and let everybody mooch off you. Over their seventeen dollar uh, mediums. Yeah, yeah. Now I run a strong, I run a strong ethical company with uh, with good principles, and I pay well, so they don't they don't screw me. I don't know what you, I don't know what kind of experience you've had, Bill. But uh, no, <laughs> just kind of, they made they made a movie about it called Mad Max Fury Road. That's the experience <laughs> I've had before. That's what I know about. Yep, yep. Nice. That's true. Nice. <laughs> All right, so let's get back to the task at hand here. Um, Sean, have so, you have you had any? Um, uh, either one or two cases, either a company say, I don't want to work with that person anymore, um, whether it's at in the middle of the project or, or at the end of the project, and vice versa. Have you had have you had to sever relationships with a company because the field techs are like, these people are, you know, we're not gonna we're not gonna work for them anymore. Have you had that happen yet in just a year of business? I have not actually. And like yeah. I said, you know, we're 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 been uh, subcontracting for um, a little over a year now under, under mm-hmm. this company. We, we did it under, you know, our other company, uh, uh quite a bit, but no, I, I haven't actually had to happen yet. Mm-hmm. Again, you know, I, I'm sure that that may happen. <laughs> mm-hmm. so. And I'm, I'm really curious about the, uh, like, like Sony was mentioning earlier, the money on this thing. Is it, I mean, I don't know how much business you've done in a little over a year, how many people you've employed, but um, and how many subcontracts you've done, and, and you don't need to get into those those numbers for us, you know, here on the show. But I mean, are you are you honestly finding out that it's that this is sustainable? Is it is it going to work, or are there some yes. contracts you just lose money on, and some you 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 make bank on? Uh it's definitely yes, it's sustainable because the whole the model is is you know we have such a small overhead mm-hmm. now the initial upfront cost you know to put people in the field since we're paying them you know their wages we're we're, we're paying them their per diem right. uh we're not doing lodging that's the primary contract holder does that and the rental vehicles and everything so mm-hmm. there's a there's a there's you know oftentimes you know a pretty substantial upfront cost um and luckily we we managed to get uh, some investors to help us get off the ground with that nice. so but the whole model is you know our overhead doesn't need to to you know to 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 really grow i mean if as growing as a business yes we want you know have to hire a couple more people uh, uh, to 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 handle things in house uh but 
you know, it's still not going to be as expensive as a company because they've got multiple offices. They've got, you know, you know, all this going on. So we're able to keep smaller overhead, charge, you know, a pretty minimum uh, margin. Um, and, you know, the model is the more people that we have out there working, the more money the company makes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, it's, 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 it's working out really well. We've, we've had, you know, uh, this since uh, early this summer, several contracts come through um and yeah made, made some pretty good return as a, returns on them and like i said the, the technicians are getting paid the same you know uh, rates uh for the region um, mm-hmm. now that that brings up another question because we've we've talked about this on the show before and i'm sure i've blogged about it because it's been something i i've been interested in is is basically this idea that you're doing right now i've thought about this a lot um now I'm wondering uh, if you've worked in enough states and enough regions to be able to answer this question yet. Um, but you know, you know for a fact that you know me as a uh, you know if I've got 12 years of experience as a field technician and I go work in the southeast, you know I might be able to get 14, maybe 15 dollars an hour at the high end. Um, you know, mm-hmm. say like in the Carolinas or something. I've worked pl- plenty over there. But then I come out here in the West and like California, Nevada, and I'm making 20 to $25 an hour for the same experience at the same position because mm-hmm. it's just different, right? Yeah. So cost, cost of living too. Is, you know, right. That's, yeah, but it makes it hard for people to travel, yes, across country yeah. used to getting paid. Yeah, not from the Southeast. We'd love to go out there and work for those <laughs> you know, wages. Well, that's <laughs> hey, that's why my wife and I, we spent a year shovel bumming from South Carolina to um, we ended up in Nevada just working our way across getting that adjacent experience so we could keep going because uh-huh. we were just tired of the wages back there, and that was yeah. it. But um, yeah. anyway, my question is, do you think a company like yours could get to the point where you've got contracts all over the United States do you think it's profitable enough to where you could actually start paying somebody um, the same wage no matter where they worked? Do you think you'd have that kind of purchasing power basically um, to say, oh, you know, we've, we've decided that the new rate for a field technician is $20 an hour and we're going to be able to pay you that no matter where you work in the nation? Or is it, I don't know, is that just completely unrealistic? That's tough. That's, that's, uh, I don't think it's, I don't know. I don't think it's unrealistic. I, mm-hmm. I, if you've got people that's worked with you and you know that they're solid, mm-hmm. and, you know, the, and, the, and the bottom line is too is, is you know, you're going to have a mixed crew. Um, so, yes, and I've done this before, um, you know, under my other company in the past where, you know, I would pay certain people more so and would just take the loss, you know, I'd say a loss, but take less on the profit margin because mm-hmm. I know and knew that they're going to just, you know, excel and it was, you know, Things would get done actually, you know, more timely manner anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's that's a that's a good question. It, 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 from a technician or field tech standpoint, I mean, that would be great. That would definitely be great to, right. to have more of a standard uh, scale, you know, nationally. That's a hard question. Along with that is, um, you know, it's something my wife and I experienced. Like, uh, for example, when we did. When we were moving across the United States, we'd taken all of our stuff and, and basically put it in storage in uh, South Carolina and got rid of our mm-hmm. apartment and uh, and actually stored one of our cars there, too. Well, when we were finally getting out further out west, we got a project in New Mexico, and we decided, okay, I think we need to shift our base of operations now. So we sold both of our cars, leased a Toyota 4Runner new, and put it, kept everything in storage still for a little while, but then loaded up that 4Runner and headed across the country. Well, we got a call. Mm-hmm like two days after we leased that truck, because we'd put down as our current employers the job we were going to in New Mexico. Mm-hmm. And uh, and they said they called that job. It, it, it's not my fault the freaking Toyota company called two days after we bought the truck. But anyway, um, they called after we bought the truck and we leased it and said, um, you're actually unemployed because you haven't started work there yet. It's like, yeah, but we'll be there tomorrow. And uh, mm-hmm. we had to try to explain to them our whole job and all that stuff, and it was really frustrating. So... My kind of vision for this, and I, and I think I'll get your answer after the break real quick here, but my, my vision for this ultimately that I was thinking at that moment in time was that I could work for a company like yours all over the country, make the same wage, but be employed full-time year-round whether I'm working or not. Um, like if there's a weak gap in my employment, I keep working. But what that means is I get benefits through you, I get all that stuff through you, and then when I go to buy a car, I can say, even though I've worked all over the country and I've subcontracted for different country, uh, companies, 
I worked for you for the last three years, and that's my job history. That's the only W-2 I'm going to get. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get your thoughts on that just in uh, 30 seconds here. Here's a, right. here's a quick business tip from Heritage Business International. Hi, everyone. This is Christopher Dore with Heritage Business International, and here's this week's Heritage Business Tip from the archive. This week, we look at the size of global markets. The global environmental compliance market, as reported by Environmental Business Journal, is disproportionately distributed. The United States has 47%, Western Europe has 35%, and the rest of the world shares the remaining 18%. While the exact size of the international heritage compliance market isn't known, the percentages should break down about the same. To receive our most up-to-date heritage business tip, you can subscribe to our free weekly email at heritagebusiness.org. Until next time, this is Christopher Dore. All right, we're back. And right before the break, I asked Sean a pretty complicated question about long-term employment for field techs. So Sean, what what do you think about that? I I think that's an incredible idea. And and, and honestly, that... that, um... To be honest, I hadn't hadn't thought about building a company that way to have what would become more full time technicians under Arctech Logistics, and we're 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 still acting as a subcontract company because mm-hmm. um, everything I have thought of is is you know contract to contract basis, and and that being um, you know in proximity to the the, the project areas, um, but. If I could do that, I think that would be amazing. And I, you know, it, that would mean that the company would ha- would have to, you know, really take off to do that. Right. Um, so yeah, why not? You know, I mean, I would love <laughs> it because that means that you know the company would be big enough to, to be able to handle that. Um, I definitely wouldn't have any issues with it. Um, so that that'd be something to. Sorry, I can't give you a better answer. <laughs> no, no, I was just wondering for somebody yeah. who's kind of doing this right now, you know, whether or not you mm-hmm. thought it was a, even a possibility from a business standpoint. Because I, I think so. I do yeah. think so. I think though it would take though, like I said, being you know a, a pretty substantially sized company to yeah. to to do that. Because sure. what it would what it would mean is is that you know the rates Arctic would have to charge would. Essentially, to maintain a profit margin, would probably have to go up. And the whole mm-hmm. reason it's lucrative for the primary contract holders is because there's a, you know, the, the rates per tech per hour is 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 pretty you know low because I'm not asking for a huge profit margin. It's, well, uh, yeah, that, and that makes sense because if your if your overhead's low, you can pay the techs the same hourly wage, but your multiplier is less. So exactly. You know, that, mm-hmm. that totally makes sense. Uh, Bill, I, I think you had a question. Yeah, um, you're going to have to do a lot if you want to try to get into – if you want to try to take somebody from Kentucky and get them hired in Arizona, mm-hmm. it ain't going to happen because <laughs> this whole yeah. thing out here is all about uh, specialized knowledge. and they, I mean, it's down to, like, the time period of the Hohokam. Mm-hmm. They are very specific, and that's the reason why it costs so much. Same thing with uh, New Mexico – it's really regionalized, and there's people who have specialties. You have to have X amount of months or X amount of years of supervisory or field experience to even have any kind of a chance to get hired on some of these projects. Mm-hmm. And I think right now, with the way that whole uh, Dakota Access Pipeline went down, people are starting to realize you can't just grab a kid from a university in you know uh, Seattle and then send them to North Dakota and expect them to somehow be able to identify these sites, right? Because I actually worked this last uh, summer on a, a project that one of the big companies had gotten this huge project, and they had recorded X amount of sites, and the local tribe was saying, you know, you really need to have us out here. We have the capacity. Our guys are trained. And they were like, oh, no, it'll cost too much money. You know, thank you very much for the offer, but we got it. We're the archaeologists, and we know what we're doing. Well, they went to work, and, you know, drill rigs were driving on, you know, sites, and stuff was getting messed up. And when the tribe went out there, they looked and they're like, you didn't see this? They'd be like, how did you not see this? Mm-hmm. And when I went out there and looked after doing work in the Northwest and Virginia and, you know, Illinois and stuff, they were showing me these things. And I was looking at it like, ooh, I barely would have even identified this. If you guys hadn't been out here and showed me what to look for, I probably wouldn't have seen this. 
because there's like barely any artifacts and the rocks are kind of in a circle or kind of near each other, but there's so many rocks you can't really tell. So they pointed it out. And after I saw it, then I could identify the stuff. So I'm just saying if like in Arizona specifically, I already know that it's like on lockdown. So really the solution, you have two solutions. You can hire hire native Americans that actually know their own cultural heritage and are trained to be archaeology technicians. Or you can start building these teams, regionalized groups of people who work for you that subcontract in the Midwest or in uh, New Mexico or, you know, the uh, Northern Plains or whatever. And as you get crews, you take a couple of your guys who don't know Southwest and put them on with the Southwest people so that Mm -hmm. they can get Southwest experience until finally you have you know, 20, 40, 50 techs that have experience in every single quadrant to the level that's required, right? So, I mean, I, I would recommend both, hiring Native Americans and training up your own thing, building your own capacity within the company. And it's going to take project to project. So, I don't know. You're going to have to network with people in those areas. So, when you get to those super finicky zones, if there's some kind of, like, uh, Chesapeake colonial thing or whatever, and they want someone who's got a master's degree in colonial arche- uh, archaeology, like that's going to be a tough one to staff crew for that, because mm-hmm. if, if they're asking you, they already don't know the people who can do it. Yeah, and that, you know, and that's and that brings up a good point. Um, I really, uh, you know, like you're saying, bringing on like gradually one or two people here and there to to basically train under the people that has the experience, so they mm-hmm. can get that on their CV and get that experience. I, th- I think that's awesome, and and, and hiring you know, the, the, the natives, uh, from the region. And that's one thing when I first, uh, got on, um, and I use Facebook a lot. I haven't here lately to do a lot of promoting, uh, cause I was at a standstill with, uh, capital, but, uh, <laughs> um, I, when I first started promoting, I had some, well, actually some, uh, some people out in, um, Arizona, um, and some project managers and, mm-hmm. and principal investigators out there that was interested in the idea. So they started networking with everyone that they normally hire and then got them to go to the website and to sign up. So it was kind of like, okay. And the way they looked at it too is, you know, they can, they can actually lower their rates to be, um, more competitive, but they're working with the same people that they know they can do the job because they've worked with them, you know, for years. Yeah. Uh, so that that is another thing that I think would is is that can really come out of this. Um, well, this you know what, what I'm trying to do is you know still using regional people and keeping them to work. And yeah, sure, you go work with this company, go work with this company, but um, uh, you know keeping keeping uh, things a little more regional at the same time. And it goes against what you, what you kind of what you're asking me, Chris, about working, mm-hmm. you know, having people move all over the country, but, but then again, it, you know, we can, I don't know, do both. Well, I, 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 I just want to reinforce the, your effort to uh, hire native Americans because the tribal historic preservation offices are stuck in a rough spot. They, there are certain benefits to, uh, tribal historic preservation offices that have the capacity to actually go out and do archaeological work. However, it's difficult because the area that they would have their people work in is much smaller than the state. And so they don't always have contracts and they definitely don't have always multi-million dollar contracts to keep their uh, uh, tribal preservation office afloat. So if they build the capacity and train tribal members, uh, you know, great people who really know a lot about their culture how to do archaeology, it's difficult to keep them employed at the TIPO because they don't have enough work all the time. So if you were able to work with tribes who have, in a lot of ways, they have like a priority situation as far as like cultural resources within their uh, traditional area, their territorial, uh, their treaty areas, and then definitely on the reservation. And they have a lot of incentive to find jobs for natives because there is not a lot of work on the reservation. So if you can... If you can do that, I think that the tribes actually would be one of your best benefits because not only would you be helping people who otherwise don't have a job, but you'd also be solving the problem of the TIPO of having steady work for these people that they've invested in scholarships. They've taught them how to do, you know, given them the opportunity to learn archaeology. They're very serious about this. You know, that way they don't necessarily have to move off the reservation. They just can go from project to project. And then when stuff happens on the reservation, 
them and the other crew of you know specialists from your company will do the actual field work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think that, I think that'd be great. Yeah, and it sounds like it sounds like you you know like you mentioned, Sean, that you are kind of set up to handle this by just hiring people locally from that region, just getting them to sign up. Um, and they already have the experience. They're either Native American archaeologists, like Bill said, or they're Southwestern archaeologists, or whatever the case may be. And uh, you don't need to take people from the Southeast and send them out that direction. You've got a, a crew everywhere, basically, well, ideally. And two, from from a you know the business perspective, I mean, the other pitch to 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 this whole model is, you know, I can, I can, it's a, it's a, it's an on working online database. What, well, what the public sees is different from what, you know, we see on the admin side of things. Mm-hmm. I'm able to do, um, you know, searching for the text and it, like I said, it will pull the people up uh, that are closest to the project area, pull, you know, pull them up first. Uh, well, it lists them by proximity. Okay. Um, and, and the other thing is, is a map function. So it, you know, it's it's definitely more cost efficient to try to find people that are closer to the to the project area instead of having to have them drive out for a day or even you know further sometimes uh, to get to the project area. It's it's cheaper, you know, um, and you're getting people that's more uh, you know regionally locally uh, specialized. So, right. Okay. Well, we've got uh, just a few minutes here um, left, so we're going to get our our last questions in. But, um, you know, I was thinking, Sean, I don't know if you've checked it out yet, and I'm, I'm not trying to plug us here because I think this idea that you've had here, uh, I've had conversations with people to have this exact same idea, and I'm glad somebody's doing it, uh, and I'm glad it's working for you as well. Um, and, and, I think, and I think, you know, this other, um, this other effort that I'm, I'm a part of here, uh, PCS, I don't know if you've seen us posting about that on Facebook, um, but I think once we get our certification program down, it will... Uh, it will actually help you guys out because you'd be able to say, um, cause it, one of the things we're doing, like both of you has mentioned is like, if I, I, when I was shovel bumming and we were working across the United States and doing all different things, you know, we, I, a good example is we picked up a project in Ohio on the Rex pipeline and, um, the Rex East pipeline there. And I was like, I've never worked in Ohio. I don't know anything about it. I don't know what the hell we're doing here. And we had a couple of weeks before that job, before we were supposed to go to that job. So I went on Amazon and I picked up a couple of books because it was the only thing I could do at the time. And I picked yeah. up a few books on like, you know, scholarly works, um, but still kind of popular works in archaeology for Ohio and, and read those to try to familiarize myself with what I was going to be possibly encountering. And, um, but what PCS does is my hope is that you'll be able to say, okay, I'm going to be working in, you know, the Great Basin uh, for my next project. I'm going to go check out the Great Basin module on PCS and watch a whole bunch of videos on the different types of archaeology you're expected to find, regional contexts and histories and things like that. Um, and, you know, my thought was, you know, we're, we're giving out these um, certifications based on what you've taken and what you've done. So you'll have kind of a profile that says you're, you're certified for here, 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 and here. And adding that to people's profiles um, on Arctech Logistics and saying, you know, hey, uh, this person has PCS level one certification with regional specification for, you know, the Great Basin, the Southeast, and, and the Southwest, uh, something like that, would, uh, would really help out your clients probably to understand what kind of people they're getting. But, exactly, know. and I think that's brilliant. I think that's something. I mean, you you know, in so many fields, just because of you know, uh, like well, an archaeologist, because you're an archaeological field technician, does that mean you're specialized in this, this, and this? No, or in these regions, no. Right. Uh, but there are so many other fields, uh, different industries where you are, you know, specialized within a broader field. So I know I think that's brilliant, and I think, you know, well, just just. To put it out there, I mean, I think that's something we could we could work out and partner together uh, in the future. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're just getting off the ground now, and uh, you know, we 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 organized about a year ago, but now we're getting our nonprofit status, and we've uh, we've been putting videos up for free with no certification or testing involved, so anybody can go just watch them on PCScourses.com or on our YouTube page. Uh, but we've got yeah. something like 17, 18 videos that we've got up right now on a variety of topics. We're trying to cover a wide variety of things, not specialize in one thing, just to show the the breadth of what we want to cover. Um, but, uh, yeah, check it out. Um, and, and we'll, uh, you know, we'll definitely talk later about that as we, as we definitely. ramp up and as you ramp up. So Sonia. Definitely. 
Yes, so my question for you involves um, travel time and how mm -hmm. you handle that um, with the, with the uh, employee, your, your field technician, how, how travel time is handled from their start location to their uh, field uh, location and any expenses associated with that. And then how you handle that with your client, the contractor, the, the prime contractor, as it were, uh, in terms of charging time and uh, expenses as well. <clears throat> well, I've always, you know, talked to the the, the prime contract, primary contract holder, and see what their policies are, uh, especially in terms of drive times and things, getting to the project area. Uh, so far, the people I have worked with, uh, the companies I have worked with, is like, okay, you know, they may get a day if it's looking for a bigger you know, uh, crew to fill. Uh, but you know, the position I have been put in as of late is the need for, uh, you know, technicians like, a, you know, going back to what we we're talking about earlier that are somewhat more local, you know, just a few hours out, um, so that it cuts down on, uh, you know, if, if they do a, a 10 day versus a five day. Ideally you would do a 10 day if they're having to drive several hours out. But if you having people that's having to drive eight hours or more, well, that's not going to, you know, obviously it's not going to work. Um, so, but usually getting back to, to your, you know, your question, it's usually the way I've dealt with the proverb is usually they say, okay, you got a day, um, for drive time. Um, and again, I, I try to, do what the primary contract um, contract holder wants in those terms, and but also understanding from the field technician side of things. But if the primary says no, you get a day. That's that's what I that's what I have to pay out. Okay, so for example, um, normally when I when I scope my my budgets for projects, I'll add travel time from our uh, office in Ogden, Utah, or Chattanooga, Tennessee, or Hot Springs, Arkansas to the location of the project and mm -hmm. or the or the project staging area which i like to call the hotel or the campsite or whatever mm -hmm. um say for example you're you found a, a southwestern um candidate who is located now in maine and that individual would either have to drive a couple days to get to um, arizona or let's say southeastern utah um, mm -hmm. to get to the project area or fly is the cost of that flight, that drive time, that hotel, on uh, the candidate, the 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 field technician, or mm -hmm. is that going to be on on the client, uh, me? Because I've budgeted, you know, mm -hmm. I don't know, six hours from Ogden, Utah, to uh, say Moab, or five hours, mm -hmm. um, and not including mileage on that. You know it, what I mean? Exactly. Exactly. And and. You know, I mean, this is, I think, the what makes it hard the division between the business side and the field tech side, and where I've done both. This is where I struggle oftentimes. <laughs> so, but yes, from a business side, you can't budget from someone, you know, that you're not aware of is going to be in Maine to come all the way out. Um, so, yeah, I, I would have to go by with what you're budgeting for. And uh -huh. so, if the, if, the, if the field tech is like, okay, let's, I can drive it, then, then they can drive it. Okay, so that's what comes to me as your client, but in terms of the the candidate or the the field technician, as it were, um, how how do you work that out with them? Do you just say, look, you're going to have to get yourself from Maine to Moab, in uh, but you'll only get paid uh, four hours round or eight hours round trip, basically. Um, well, when I put the job posting, hit you know, I'll put the specifics in there, like you know looking for people that's somewhat local or up to a certain, you know, one day of pay for drive time, that kind of thing. Um, so it's, it's kind of one of those things they'll, um, you know, they'll see and know that's the job that they're applying for. Okay. Well, thank you. Um, I'm sure that's interesting to both, or it'll be helpful for both your employee and for, uh, your clients. Yeah. yeah, I'll tell you what, it's a shovel bum. Uh, you know, I just look for jobs. And if I got a job, I was in Seattle and got a job in, in southwestern Florida. And there was no discussion of, hey, we'll pay you this much to drive down here. No, it's like your pay starts when you show up for the first day of work. So getting yep. any compensation for getting there would be uh, 
more than <laughs> more than what I would expect. And if, of course, the bonus is, you know, if on longer on longer projects, it makes it more worth it for that person in Maine to come out. But mm-hmm. say it's mm-hmm. only like a, a 10 day project, it may not be worth it. Right. Something exactly. to consider as well. Okay, well, we've got to go. Um, Sean, is there anything that we didn't uh, ask you or mention that you want to bring up about Arctech Logistics? Uh, I think I think we you guys helped me out on, on rethinking <laughs> some things. So, uh, yeah, you put some thoughts in my head. So, um, so yeah, thank you for that. But no, I, yeah. I can't, I can't okay. think of anything. Well, that's good. We'll have a link to Arctech Logistics in the show notes. And uh, thanks again, Sean, for coming on. Thank you for having me. All right, and we'll uh, we'll see you guys next time. That's it for another episode of the CRM Archaeology Podcast. Links to some of the items mentioned on the show are in the show notes for this podcast, which can be found at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com forward slash podcast. If you like the show and want to comment, please do. You can leave comments about this or any other episode on the website or on the iTunes page for the episode. You can also email me at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com or use the contact form on the podcast webpage. If you'd like us to answer a question on a future episode, email us. Use the contact form on the website or tweet your questions with the hashtag crmarcpodcast or you can tag at arcpodnet in your tweet. Please share the link to the show wherever you saw it. If you share CRM archaeology-related items on Twitter or Facebook or anywhere else for that matter, be sure to use the hashtag CRMARC so the community can see and comment. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, you can do so on iTunes or on Stitcher Radio. You can also type the name of the podcast into your favorite podcasting app and subscribe that way. Don't forget to go over to iTunes and leave a review of the show. It helps us get noticed so more people can find our podcast and benefit from the content. Also, send us show suggestions and interview suggestions. We want this to be a resource for field technicians everywhere, and we want to know what you want to know about. Also, please consider donating to the Archaeology Podcast Network. Your donations help fund our bandwidth and contribute to our editing costs. Thanks to everyone for joining me this week. Thanks also to the listeners for tuning in, and we'll see you in the field. Goodbye. See ya. Adios. Bye. See ya. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Thanks again for listening to this episode and for supporting the Archaeology Podcast Network. If you want these shows to keep going, consider becoming a member for just $7.99 US a month. That's cheaper than a venti quad eggnog latte. Go to archpodnet.com slash members for more info.